What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, Ja Morant's, Joe Johnson's, Ja Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how you doing? Happy preseason rankings week. We preseason rankings week. We have AP preseason polls, Ken Palms, all of that good stuff. Media polls, yeah. As media as as media days start to start to roll, and there were two today. I think I know the Big Twelve was today, October eighteenth. I think there was one other one today. But yes, rankings all over the place. We've got a conversation on the Big East, the main chunk of the podcast today. But as Josh mentioned, we have Ken Palm preseason rankings, and we have an AP top twenty-five preseason poll. Now, I'm not going to read all 25 teams in order because I feel like that's just just that's just pointless. If you want to if you want to see it, you can go find it, but I will give you the top 5, Josh. Um starting at number 1, which is how these lists normally are are presented. Number 1 Kansas, the Jayhawks. Uh the number 1 team in the preseason AP poll, it wasn't particularly close. They received 46 first place votes. Duke at number two received the second most at 11. Followed by Purdue at three, closely by Michigan State at number four. And then Marquette, the Golden Eagles, the the Fighting Shaka Smarts, uh, the number five team in the preseason AP Top 25. uh, First edition of the 2023-24 season initial reactions kansas at number one any any thoughts you've got on on this version of the top 25 top three is exactly how i would have had it generally speaking i like the top 10 i don't have any major issues i mean i probably would have florida atlantic ahead of tennessee but i don't look at the team's right outside the top 10 and go those should be in the top 10 i feel like the top mm-hmm. 10 is what it should be in terms of teams the the couple things that i was surprised by the miami gonzaga duo there gonzaga 11 miami 13 and then the other thing i just wanted to mention real quickly i know you have some thoughts you want to get to as well the fact that kentucky is directly behind two other sec teams mm-hmm. i found that very curious as well I'm not shocked that Tennessee is ahead of them, but clearly people's confidence in John Calipari has been shaken because if you put that, you take that in a vacuum, that is absolutely not the 16th most talented team in the country. No way. I mean, it's also nowhere close to the 16th most proven team in the country. Right. right. That's like the 349th most proven team in the country. In terms of the guys on the team that have college basketball experience. But I generally agree with you. And a, since a, when a do we, class... do we since when do we have proving as part of our preseason ranking? Oh never. I'm not telling right. you. I'm not saying right, that right. I but this this kind of roster would have been fifth in the country eight years ago. Yes, exactly. That's my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um we should just rename the preseason AP Top 25 the which teams did the best in March six months ago. <laughs> um, like if Purdue went to the Sweet 16 
or lost in the round of 32 in a really close game, Purdue would be the number one team in the country. I, I, I like, I don't, I don't think it would have been a conversation, but we decided that there are two teams that are better than them because they lost in the round of 64. Um, Michigan State being fourth is ridiculous, with all due respect. This is the, what has that team done to prove that you're, they're fourth in the country? I would have had them probably seventh or eighth. But we saw them get deeper in the tournament last year than they were supposed to. And saw them beat the team that's right behind them in the standings. Exactly. Um, Tennessee, I, I, I okay. See, I mean, that's the. That's the interesting one because that's the exact opposite of what you were just complaining about with Michigan State, which I generally agree with. Is Tennessee's there because you know Tennessee's going to be good. But yes, but that same iteration of a of Tennessee without with Olivier Kamwa was not a top ten team last year. Yeah, Ziegler got hurt. That's part of it. With Zakai Ziegler, they weren't a top ten team in the country. No, they were probably more like fifteen to twenty. Yeah. So I, I also think Miami's overrated. I mean, I, yep, I agree with that. Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller. I mean, you don't have either of those guys, and that was not a top fifteen team last year. They just went to the final four. That was a top twenty team, but I'm not totally sure how you get from A to B after losing the. ACC player of the year and a guy that was probably closer to as good as Isaiah Wong is as uh, than we probably realized mm-hmm. just no, because that, of how good of a season he had. Yeah. No, if had I had this. to pick one team that I thought was wildly overrated and I don't understand, it would be Miami. I'm right there with you. So I don't, I don't totally, I don't totally get that. I, I, my, my question I'd like to pose to you is, is, is Kansas 40, is, is Kansas 35 first place votes better than Duke in your opinion? No, and they're not forty-three first-place votes better than Purdue. I was I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that Kansas was first because we talked about Kansas all off-season, yep. and the teams that AP voters saw in the news the most is generally like the, like that's just a helpful thing for people who, quite frankly, aren't paying that close of attention in every single case. Um. But I was surprised that it was Kansas so far and away in terms of first place voting. Me too. I will say I don't enter the season feeling like they are clearly the number one team in the country and that everybody is gunning for them. I see three teams above everybody else that are pretty even. I would agree with that. Um, I also, I, I don't, I don't totally understand why UConn is ranked ahead of Creighton relative to what they brought back and what Creighton brought back. And how good Creighton was when they were healthy last year. Um, I don't, like on paper, I don't totally understand why UConn is, why people have more faith in what UConn is putting on the floor right now on October 16th, 18th, whatever, whatever day it was, whatever day it is, than, than what Creighton is putting on the floor right this second. Because uh, UConn's going to be just, like, UConn will be just a top 25 team if their freshmen aren't good. I feel very wholeheartedly in that. So right. the, the 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 guys that are going to change the ceiling for U- UConn having not played college basketball yet, I just I I don't like I probably would have had at Marquette five, Creighton six, Houston seven, UConn eight. Eight. 
yeah, certainly reasonable. I would just say to you, I do feel like UConn's got the higher ceiling, and probably that's the explanation is, right, you get these guys back, you add a campus Spencer, and you get your freshmen, and you go, well, these dudes just ran through everybody. They have the talent to do it again. Now, those dudes point, didn't run through everybody. Adamas and right. Jordan Hawkins, yeah. and Andre Jackson aren't on the team. Right. They didn't right. run. This team did not run through everybody. Correct. Actually, to your point, these are not the same players that did that last year. Of course, there are a couple, but generally right. speaking, there are a lot of new faces there. I, I don't have a huge issue with it. I also would have Creighton ahead. I agree with your logic. I just, I've accepted that this is something I sort of fundamentally disagree with because. We've done it the past two years with UCLA and UNC, and sure. you know how strongly I feel about not putting too much stock in NCAA tournaments, which is what you've highlighted here and generally is a theme we see once again. Anybody underrated? Ooh. I mean, I do feel like Kentucky. Interesting. Once you get past, I mean, you're talking about Miami. Texas A&M's in there, Arkansas. I, I would have had Kentucky a little bit higher. USC, Villanova are also interesting to me. Not necessarily that they should be higher now because there's a lot of questions in terms of Villanova needs to prove they're actually as good as they look on paper and that all mm-hmm. these transfers are going to work and USC needs to prove that this is going to be a really, really good team, not just a bunch of talented players that don't translate to a lot of success. Mm-hmm. But those two stick out to me. And then I would also probably say St. Mary's. I was very surprised that there is a 12-spot gap between St. Mary's and Gonzaga. That was the other thing I wanted to highlight real quickly. Yeah, I just, I, I guess I just, I, I, I'm surprised relative to what the, the coaches decided in the West Coast Conference or the media? Was it the media or the coaches poll? One of them, St. Mary's, is yeah. was the preseason yep. WCC champion. I'm pretty I I'm surprised by I'm surprised by that. They probably should be a little bit closer. I think the consensus would probably be that Gonzaga should be a little bit lower rather than St. Mary's being higher. Um maybe it's a little bit of both, but that was the general consensus I was seeing is that less about St. Mary's needing to be higher, but maybe Gonzaga being a little bit lower. Um, I don't totally understand why San Diego state is ahead of North Carolina. It's weird. I, 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 there's a couple teams on, on this list that I, North Carolina, I feel like is in the right spot. I just don't totally understand a couple of the teams that are ahead of them, San Diego state being the big one. Like that's another, that's another one of like, if San Diego state just like lost in the sweet 16, right. They, they would not be 17th. And that's what you say. You know, the answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I know why. Um, yeah. And I kept looking at North Carolina and I couldn't decide if, if I felt like they were in the wrong spot. I think where I landed is that they're, they, are probably in the right spot. There's just a couple teams behind them that I'd probably move ahead of them at the expense of San Diego state. But alas, they, they did the teams behind them didn't go to the final four. So it checks out. 
Anything it, else on the top 25? The other team I'll throw in there that I might have considered ranking, I mean, they finished 27th, but I'm very high on this Colorado team. I've I would heard. have liked to see them sneak in at 25 or 24, but mm-hmm. it'll sort itself out. It's not like people weren't paying attention to them. They got plenty of votes. Second most of the team that wasn't right behind Wisconsin. So, Ken Palm also out. That top five looks not the same. There are a couple. There's some overlap, but it's not completely the same. Um, the top ten quickly: Purdue, Kansas, Houston, UConn, Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, Tennessee, Duke, and Alabama. There are three teams ranked in the top ten of both offensive and defensive efficiency before the season starts. That's Kansas. They're ninth in offense and first in defense. Houston is third in offense and fifth in defense. And the Huskies of UConn, the Fighting Dan Hurleys, are eighth in offense and fourth in defensive efficiency. Um, anything jumping out to you in a major way about the Kempom rankings? Um, generally, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a nice way to start thinking about the season, but certainly one that can be, that can be flawed. Yeah, the Gonzaga Arizona Baylor five six seven is interesting. I don't know what to do with it, other than I just don't feel like those are top ten teams. Yeah, Houston is just always beloved by Ken Palm, so I was not surprised they started off that high. Yeah, they're all efficiency, right? It's all yeah, it's all we get the most out of our looks, and we right. don't don't we, take you know, any we're three hundred. We're 304th in adjusted tempo, and as a result, right. we're good defensively, you know, and right. and good offense and efficient and, offensively, exactly. Right, yeah. right. Whether good or not, different question, but efficient, absolutely. Yeah, that was the the big thing for me. Kansas, Purdue, one, two, no issues with that. Obviously, the other couple teams I wanted to highlight that I did find somewhat interesting. Uh, the Fighting Jerome Tangs are 25th. Mm-hmm. Again. Does this mean all that much? No, probably not. But it is worth noting that Ken Palm has them as a preseason top 25 team. That, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, they've got some pieces. People are going to be paying attention to them because of what they did last season, but also it's a completely new team that has to prove it's got, you know, all American caliber players mm-hmm. capable of filling the shoes of the all Americans that just left. But I did find that interesting that they weren't anywhere to be found in most of the preseason conversation here they are 25 and then mm-hmm. Florida Atlantic in the eight people just for what it's worth yeah 35th. okay so somewhat in the conversation but Ken Palm obviously likes them more and then Florida Atlantic yep. at 37 yeah uh, I'm not stunned and it'll change as they're in the AAC I think they're going to get their opportunities to continue to move up and it's not like Ken Palm hated them last year but I think it's one of those things that just metrically, it's hard to explain why I do feel like they're a top ten team preseason and they belong there. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a complicated conversation that the numbers don't necessarily lay out. What's interesting to me about Florida Atlantic is they were twenty sixth before the tournament started last year. Before either tournament started, their conference tournament mm-hmm. or the NCAA tournament, they finished I think seventeenth. I didn't write that one down, but before they went on any run, they were 26th. Right. So that's that's where I, I 
have a bit of a of a disconnect yep. is because I'm I'm a, a believer in looking at where they were after their last regular season game rather than looking at where that team finished after their final four run, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they did finish seventeenth, by the way. Seventeenth. Yes. So if they had been like thirty third after their regular season and they're thirty seventh this year, then then I would have I would have fewer questions. I was just surprised that that Kim Palm was higher on them at the end of last season than they are right now with a team that brings absolutely everybody back. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why I am so firmly in the I believe in Fort Fort Atlantic camp is that Kim Palm was telling you before anything they did in the NCAA tournament, exactly like you said, this was a really good basketball team. They were mm-hmm. a really good basketball team all season. Nobody paid attention to them until they made it went on their run. That's mm-hmm. not why I believe in them. I believe in them because of the numbers and what they did from start to finish last season. And went then they 70th, backed it up. Went from 70th to 17th, but 70th mm-hmm. to 26th after their after their yeah. their regular season ended. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, there is nothing to explain why they went backward. So... Whatever, uh, whatever, whatever Ken Pomeroy wants to do. Um, I got a couple different lists here that I want to share with you. Um, the first is what I'm calling feast or famine. It's teams that are really highly ranked on one side of the equation and not on the other. Um, and if that speaks to some of the, how balanced are these good basketball teams? Um, first on that list is Gonzaga. They're, they're first in offensive efficiency, 26th in defensive efficiency which doesn't sound horrible but you know when you're when you're a team playing that high of a that that quality of a schedule right you just you're going to get some benefit of the doubt when you're when you're a team like that Tennessee is 33rd in offensive efficiency second in defensive efficiency they finished they finished at 64th in offensive efficiency last year I'll be curious to see what it looks like this year I think Dalton next 22 points per game or whatever it was last year is is uh, inserting some some boost there. Duke 7th in offensive efficiency, 22nd in defense. I think that's going to get better pretty quickly actually. But um but that's where they start. Marquette 6th in offense, 28th in defense. Texas the other way around, 30th in offense, 6th in defense. So we'll see what what goes on there. UCLA 49th in offense, 7th in defense. Mississippi State is 53rd in offense and 8th in defense. And then Iowa State, of course, 79th in offense and 3rd in defensive efficiency. Uh, Anything jump out to you there? Not especially. I guess I'm a little surprised Marquette's only 6th offensively. Hmm. That's again, if they were at least that good last season, why would you expect them to take a step back with returning most of their key players? They did finish seventh in offensive efficiency last year. Yeah, they were a top, at least top 10. Mm-hmm. And maybe it bumped down a little bit because at the, you know, factoring in the NCAA tournament and things like that. But the, yeah, I would be. And when you look at the teams ahead of them, too, I mean, we're talking about Arizona is four, Baylor's five. Houston is three. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga's one. I'll tell you right now, I will take Marquette's offense over any of those teams. 
Interesting. So that was the part not. of I guess that was the most interesting part of that for me. A lot of it is just kind of the staples, right? Mm-hmm. UCLA defense, Texas defense, Iowa State defense, Gonzaga offense, Tennessee defense. So I yep. guess the, I'm also kind of surprised Tennessee is 33rd offensively. Like you said, that they, they're never really a top 25 offense. But you do have an offensive weapon in Dalton next coming in that maybe they get there. But this is mm-hmm. a lot of the same story with these teams of can you balance it out just enough to get in. And Duke as well, losing your top defensive player. Mm-hmm. You start 22nd in defense. That's ultimately what's going to determine how far that team can go and whether they can win a national championship. Conference rankings. Big 12-1. The SEC 2. Which, if you're looking at the AP Top 25, checks out the SEC 5th 5 teams in the AP Top 25, that's the only conference that can boast that third year in a row, by the way, that there are five SEC teams in, in the Top 25. Big 10 is third, Big East fourth, Pac-12 fifth, and ACC sixth. That that's that feels right. Maybe I'm the, switching SEC and Big 10. But not Big East? No, the bottom of the Big East is going to be so bad. That's the tricky... Minnesota is going to be better than the three worst teams in the Big East this year. Probably. You also... I I think that's going to be really, really close between those three. And to me, it's kind of a personal preference thing of, do you want the better overall depth? Do you want the better depth at the top? Do you want the the firepower, they all offer something a little bit different. I would have no issue putting any those in any order as long as Big 12 is one and they're two, three, four. Hmm. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think right now it has to be Pac-12-5 and ACC-6. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gut, gut reaction, underrated, overrated. Here we go. Creighton at 12th. I'm all in on Creighton. You know underrated. this. Uh, Underrated, yeah. Creighton at 12, underrated. Florida Atlantic, 37th. Underrated. Providence at 54th. Underrated. St. John's at 60th. Not 60. by much, but underrated. Syracuse at 105. Underrated. And Georgetown at 159. Ooh. One, Did you see that Jaden Epps dropped 46 in a scrimmage? Did he? Yeah. Against like a real basketball team too. Hold on. I tweeted about it. Let me go find it. But yeah, 46. Uh, That's gross. One. See, now I want to look and see who's behind them. He dropped Notre Dame is be- 46 against Wake Forest. Oh, okay. So Notre Dame, Oregon State. That's about the only high majors I'm finding here. Yeah, we're down. Uh, I mean, I'll say underrated just because they can't be. I mean, the teams ahead of them are UTEP. Sorry, let's start there. South Alabama, UTEP, Toledo, UNC, Asheville, Air Force, and Eastern Washington. They are then sandwiched between those teams and Portland, Winthrop, Marshall, Fordham, George Mason, Notre Dame, and Utah Valley. 
yeah, I'll say underrated. I mean, not by that much, but they could get to the 130s, 120s. Those were the six teams I had in my underrated rankings. Uh, overrated. Tennessee, eighth. Yes. Um, Auburn, 14th. 15th, excuse me. Yes. And Wisconsin, 20th. Yeah. We'll see about Wisconsin. I just don't have... After the after they finished one fortieth in offensive efficiency last year, like that team just doesn't look different enough for me to actually believe that they're twentieth. That's yeah. that's where that, I mean Tennessee and and Wisconsin kind of fall into the same category for me there. That they're, what what's gonna what's gonna be that different? It's still Chucky Hepburn mm-hmm. and Connor Asijian. Like what what's really gonna be different? Yeah, there Tyler are plenty Wall. of teams behind Wisconsin. I would take first. That's all I got. Anything else on the rankings? No. 25 minutes on the rankings. That's impressive even for us. I would like to not talk about them again now. (laughs) All righty. Well, that's great because we're going to stop talking and get out of the way for our conversation with Lucas Harkins from Heat Check College Basketball, contributor to the Almanac. He's all over the place at Hardwired Sports on Twitter. Uh, Great friend of the podcast, fellow Butler Bulldog. and uh, always a pleasure to talk to him. So we'll get out of the way. Let's go talk to Lucas Harkins. Joining us now for, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh year in a row, uh, a good buddy of both mine and Josh's fellow Butler Bulldog, although we are not obligated in any way whatsoever to talk about the Butler Bulldogs here today. His name is Lucas Hardwin, Lucas Harkins. There you go. At Hardwired Sports on Twitter, Heat Check College Basketball, the Almanac, He's all over the place. Lucas, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We will not talk about the Butler Bulldogs. At least not very much. You're you're welcome to talk about the Butler Bulldogs. We will not be asking you any questions about the Butler Bulldogs here on this here Big East podcast because there's plenty to talk about when it comes to the Big East this season. No place to start other than the very top of it, and we'll kind of go from there and see where the conversation takes us. But when you look at the Big East, it's it's hard to go much further than the Marquette Golden Eagles. Really excellent season last year, and it's a team that brings back Conference Player of the Year. Um, basically everyone except Omax Prosper. What is the... What is the the temperature check on Marquette right now for you? Are what are you expecting from an encore? Do you think they're as good, better, still working on being as good as they were last season? How do you feel about the Golden Eagles and Shaka Smart? Yeah, you know it's a little bit of a weird mix for me with Marquette. First and foremost, I think they're outstanding. I think that they bring back a ton. I think Omax Prosper is a big loss. And David Joplin will do a really nice job filling into that role. My biggest question is who fills into the Joplin role um, more than anything is who fills into that really, really good six-man spot, whether that's a Stevie Mitchell or, or whatever, wherever else they want to go off the bench, uh, is a pretty big spot to go. But I think that the thing with Marquez, I think they're maybe getting a little underrated. And I think I'm part of this problem, too, because I'm going to put Marquette second in my Big East standings. And I think that a lot of people are, and I think that that's underrating a team that really kind of should be penciled in for the number one spot this year. Um, but the Big East is loaded, man. 
the top is really, really good. It's like Marquette brings back a lot, but they also lose. Omax was a double-digit scorer, first-round NBA draft pick. Uh, UConn loses a bunch, also brings in a ton. Great loses a bunch, also brings in a ton. I mean, really, any of those three teams, I think you can give a, a legitimate argument to number one. I think the highest floor of that group is Marquette. Uh, but as far as who the highest ceiling is, that that really, I think, will have to play itself out as one of those three teams. What What do you think Marquette has to do to raise the ceiling? I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly where I wanted to go, that it feels like, okay, nobody expected what they did last season. They turned into a really good offensive team, which you don't expect under Shaka. Is it defensively they need to get a little bit better? Do you think what happened in the NCAA tournament was just one of those things that sometimes you lose games in the second round when you're a two seed and playing another decent Big Ten opponent, you know, high major opponent? What do you feel like is going to be the thing that unlocks that next level for Marquette where we're not just talking about him as this really good top 10 team, maybe the best team in the Big East, but a true national title contender and one of the five or so teams that we're talking about is the favors to win the national championship come March. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, Michigan State was really just kind of a nightmare second-round matchup. I think we're a pretty guard-oriented team with Colec and Jones, and you have to face off against Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogarth in the second round. It is brutal. Um, I think that was really just a really tough draw um, of a second-round matchup for a two-seed, and, and one that this kind of shows the nature of March Madness. I mean, you can have as good a regular season as as you can, and sometimes it's just a matchup. Sometimes Villanova goes practically undefeated, and they have to draw one of those veteran Wisconsin teams as a hitter nine seed in the second round. I mean, those things happen. Um, so I think for for Marquette, I don't, I wouldn't too much worry about the postseason of last year. I think it's more about as as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is Joplin steps into the Prosper role. Who kind of steps into that Joplin role? I mean, on paper, the starting five looks phenomenal. Taylor Kolek's been great. Cam Jones was is their leading scorer coming back. Um, Osugadaro kind of does everything from the five spot. David Joplin's, I think, going to be a really, really good fit in the starting lineup. And Stevie Mitchell is as tenacious as a defender there is. It's just, what does that sophomore class give you off the bench? That Chase Ross, Sean Jones, Ben Gold group, what can they give you um, in terms of filling up the depth of this roster? Because I'm, I, if you look at just their, their starting lineup is deep and it's, and it's experienced, but the entire bench is freshman and sophomores. And I think that's going to be the big key in determining how much they get out of that group will determine the ceiling of this group. How important do you think that starting lineup getting better individually is going to be? I'm big on this idea of just because you bring back everybody from an awesome team doesn't inherently mean that team is going to be awesomer the following year, more awesome. I suppose we should be grammatically correct. Um, how important, because right, I, I think I completely agree with you. I think not only is replacing someone with the talent of Omax Prosper difficult, but he's also just the type of guy that I feel like impacts the game in ways that you don't totally understand until he's not there. So, and you of course mentioned the trickle effect. Is is the bench developing the key to you when it comes to like we talked about that ceiling? And if like if the the starting five doesn't really get that much better individually from last year, does that concern you in any way? I think in particular with Jones and Joplin, they're really going to be relied on to bring a lot of the offense, and Kolek will bring 
the playmaking and also some of the offense. And I think where they really lacked last season was for sure they're a top 10 defense, but a top, top 10 offense, but a top 50 defense. Um, and if those guys off the bench can give you a boost, that's not just a Stevie Mitchell stopper on the perimeter, who's fantastic and he did our protecting the paint. If you can get more defensive contributions from the bench in terms of filling out different lineup combinations and allowing them to do different things defensively, uh, I think is the big, is the big jump. It's weird talking about a Shaka smart coach team in that way. I'm still trying to fully process that. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned the other two teams, Creighton, UConn. We also want to make sure we're touching on them. Let's start with Creighton. Lots coming in, lots coming out. Stephen Ashworth, Arthur Kaluma, Ryan Nemhard also on the way out. How do you feel about this team, and how do you think it stacks up to last season with kind of the roster construction? I love this team. Like, I, I, I really do. I think they're there's a really good chance that they're the best team in the conference this year. Um, Ryan Kalkrun is as good defensively as there is in all of college basketball, um, and he kind of anchors things. And you're now going to get another year of Shireman in the system, Trey Alexander playing with those guys. You're going to give Alexander more time more time on the ball than he spent with Ryan Nemhart. And I think Ryan Nemhart, Stephen Ashworth's a weird trade because uh, I think Ryan Nemhart is a very, very good player who will be significantly lost but I also think he's a better fit for Gonzaga than it is for Creighton and Stephen Ashford's probably a better fit for Creighton than Nemhart was at Creighton um, and because they already have creator like Ashworth and Alexander are both creators and they can play off each other at the primary spot and if they're struggling or they need an extra ball handler Baylor Shine brings that I mean there's a lot of creation on this team Alexander Ashworth Shineman were all two and a half assists a game last season at their respective spots plus uh they can all really, really shoot it. You throw Mason Miller at the four, he can really, really shoot it. You play Isaac Trout at the four instead, he can really shoot it. You bring Francesco Farabella off the bench, he can really shoot it. And you're anking that around Ryan Cochran and a defensive big man who's improved his touch as well. I mean, this really feels like a, a, a team that's going to probably take a little bit of a step back defensively, but could really jump into the elite of the elite offensively teams in the country this year. And it's, it's going to be hard for teams to keep up with their scoring guys. I love to hear that on our biggest preview. I was all in on, on the blue Jays. Um, I think we, and you know, when talking about football teams, you talk about which team has the best unit. Like what's the best is this team's offensive unit better than any other unit that a team has in the AFC. Um, I think that's the kind of situation we're in with Creighton this year offensively is that just their offensive unit is going to be the most terrifying, the scariest, the, if it's clicking, there's just so many places that the playmaking can come from. There's so many places that the scoring can come from to the point where, because we talked about this as well, that does the defense take a little bit of a step back? How much of an impact does that have on their ceiling? And do they get to a point where if they don't score, if they have an off shooting night, that they're really going to struggle to beat good teams as a result. I, I guess my, the, the main thing I just say to that is that your defensive floor is only so low when Ryan Cockbrenner is the guy anchoring it in the middle. Yeah. And as long as he is elite defensively, which 
he should be, there's no reason to suggest that he won't be, then then you're probably then they're probably fine. So kind of put that into conversation. Is is there a unit at the top of the conference that you're more scared of than than Creighton if they are clicking offensively? I don't think so. I mean, this is the most offensively talented, I think, Creighton team since the COVID year um, with Tyshawn Alexander, Marcus Sigurowski, Mitch Ballack. That team was loaded. Um, Denzel Mahoney. I think that – and that team finished 78th in adjusted defense. Um, but they didn't have Ryan Cochran. Every year with Ryan Cochran, they were 32nd, 19th, 14th in adjusted defense. I think the odds that they're top 40 again are pretty high. Um, and if you're a top 40 defense and a top 5 offense, you're in pretty darn good shape. I think that top 5 offense is going to be really, really – if they get to that point, I think they have the potential to get there. It's going to be really, really tough to stop. And, but quite frankly, Marquette's offense is still in that mix too. I mean, they're, they're, they have the potential to be really good. Um, Prosper, we know, is a loss, but David Joplin stepping into that role, they're probably a top 15 at worst offense again. They were seventh last year. Are you, it sounds like the answer is no, but are you at all from an NCAA tournament perspective concerned that this Creighton team goes the way of what we expect with Creighton teams in kind of COVID year and past, right? Where shoot the lights out, score a bunch of points aren't necessarily what they need to be defensively. And then they have, like Josh said, that one bad game in March. And it's just not a sustainable formula over four, five, six games. Whereas last year's team came pretty close, relatively speaking, to winning a national championship because of the the defense. Is Kalkbrenner just the difference there that it doesn't matter what happens to the other four spots, that he, he gives you the floor that they're going to be good enough defensively. And if they can turn into an elite offense, that combination is going to get them where they need to go. Yes, but I also think we kind of overrate Creighton's offense since pre-COVID. Um, like they played fast, they put up a lot of points. Last season was the best offense that played an NCAA tournament game. So if you exclude the COVID year where they didn't get to play, they were third in the off- in offensive efficiency that year. But last year was their best adjusted offensive finish in a year that they had a postseason opportunity since Doug McDermott was on the team. Wow. Like they, were 20, like, like they were 23rd in, in offense last year. I think they'll be better than that this year. They haven't finished. And Cole top, they was hurt finished. Too. Yes, and I think that like this is probably going to be the best offense they've had since the COVID year or when McDermott was there, which they went 5-5-2. <laughs> they were phenomenal with Doug. But like I think they're going to get their offense to a level we haven't really seen, and, and I think that their defense will be at its peak too. I think this is... I think we overlook how good that team in 2020 was. They were probably going to get a two seed at worst uh, if the NCAA tournament happens. And I think we look at Creighton differently if they make a run that year. Like, let's just say Creighton takes a two seed and gets the Sweet 16, which would be, quite frankly, disappointing for seed expectations. And they would have gone Sweet 16, Sweet 16, a second-round exit as a nine seed in an Elite Eight in the last four years. Like, this is this is not the Creighton that struggles to reach the second round like it was in the early days since they joined the Big East. I think this is this is a really, really good team it's that had a lot of success in last year's postseason. And as you mentioned, they were uh I think it was a one point loss to San Diego State in the Elite Eight. I think they're spectacular. I'm very excited to see to see what they I'm put excited, on the floor. I'm excited about a lot of the Big East this year. It is loaded. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna be a ton of fun. Let's talk about another one of those teams at the top of the conference, a team that had no issues 
winning games in the tournament last year. Uh, had issues losing games in the tournament last year. They failed to do that. Uh, a little disappointing from from Dan Hurley's UConn Huskies a year ago is that they did not exit the NCAA tournament with a loss, whatever. Um, this is one of the more substantial lists of departures and newcomers, returners that you'll find in college basketball this season, especially from a, this is a team that people will expect success from. Um, Adamus Nogo, gone. Jordan Hawkins, gone. Andre Jackson, gone. Joey Calcaterra, gone. Coming in, Cam Spencer, Savon Castle, Solo Ball, Jalen Stewart, Jane Ross, and I think my mother joined the UConn Huskies this year as well. Um, I'm I'm really intrigued by this roster. I can't decide if I love it, which probably means that should, I don't should love be it. that one. Should be um, that one. All three of these maybe, teams are national title contenders. Okay. So so that's my so that's my question to you. How do you feel I, about what came in and what left and what product UConn is going to put on the floor this season? So I think I have this I have the top three in the Big East ranked Marquette. Sorry, Creighton, Marquette, and UConn. And I think that Marquette and UConn can both be angry about it. Um <laughs> but like I have them one, two, three in the Big East, and I think I have the five, six, seven national. Gotcha. Like this group is loaded. Like putting Connecticut third in the conference is a slight, but at the same time, they're probably one of the top ten teams in the country and a pretty good bet uh, to potentially repeat for the title. Uh, Tristan Newton's back to give them a, an experienced guard. Cam Spencer comes in to give them an experienced guard. There might not be a better transfer addition in terms of handing glove fits than Cam Spencer in a Jordan Hawkins light role with, with being able to run off screens, hit big shots, really good playmaker from the two. Um, I think he's going to hit a lot of really, really big shots this year. Uh, and Tristan Newton shot 37% from three last year. You throw Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, and Alex Caravan, who is quite frankly probably should have been Big East freshman of the year last year. Um, you put those three on the floor, and all of a sudden there's a lot of spacing for what is a really dynamic 6'6 guard in, in Stephen Castle, and probably the top three big men in the country at higher volume than Donovan Klingon. There's a ton to like here. There's a ton to like here. Two-part question. One, did you take anything away from last season because the roster is so different and because last season was so weird where they went from, oh my goodness, this is the best team in the country to they can't win Big East games consistently to, oh my goodness, they're not going to lose and they steamrolled everybody again. They, there was just that weird stretch where they didn't look very good and then they figured it out again. And adding on to that, how important is the loss of Andre Jackson? Because I think there's a real strong argument to make that the difference when they started piecing it back together and turned into a juggernaut again was that they figured out how to use him without letting his shooting deficiencies, his floor spacing deficiencies hurt them too much and letting other teams capitalize on that. Like Josh mentioned earlier, this idea of you're not going to appreciate how much he did until he's gone. Are you at all worried about that part of it? Or do you just kind of throw all of that away and look at this team, not even thinking about them as the defending national champions because the roster is so different? Yeah. You know, I think there's value in there. I mean, Andre Jackson was a really, really good player, especially on the defensive end. I mean, I think that's where they'll miss him most. I think he was a really good playmaker for a big, big sized wing, but I think that, that Castle brings some of that same stuff. 
um, for that defense. And he's a better scorer than, than Andre Jackson was. I think it more becomes missing Jackson on defense, in which case you're going to get more Donovan Klingon this year. He's a better defensive big um, than Adama Snogo was. I think the other thing is, I wonder just how much UConn is easier, easy, more easily covered, not still impossible, but more easily covered by by a conference that scouts them as close as the Big East Coast because they have they play everybody twice. UConn went seventeen and zero outside of the Big East yeah. last year, like, and they weren't particularly close with most games they played. I mean, they crushed no. Alabama, they crushed Iowa State, they beat Oklahoma State by double digits, they beat Florida by twenty one, and they rolled through the NCAA tournament. Like, they were just they were phenomenal. I think there's a lot of those same, and I, I know it looks different because they lost like three big pieces, but man, they bring back three studs. Newton, Caravan, and Klingon are studs. Cam Spencer is very, very good. Uh, and the number seven freshman class in the country. I mean, this kind of reminds me a little bit, I mean, just the, the way they got to the national championship game. It was, what, a 2020 recruiting class that was Sonogo and Jackson. And then in 2021, they landed a top 10 class that happened to have Jordan Hawkins in it. I mean. Last year, they got Carabin in a year early, but really, he, he was a freshman last year, and so was Donovan Klingon. And then this year, they bring in the fifth-best <laughs> recruiting class in the country that has Stephen Castle in it. Like, I think mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of similarities there in terms of just how they built the roster together. Maybe it's not this year, and, and maybe it's next year, but I think that um, regardless, this is Dan Hurley has put this roster in a great spot. For now, for the future, they're a top 10 team coming this year. They're a national championship contender. And I think that they have every right to be either one in the Big East, or if you say three, you have to say top 15 in the country at worst. I got two questions for you kind of on on the personnel side of things. Um, The first one is, do do you think, like like what kind of numbers is Donovan Klingon going to, Put up this year is it going to be a okay Travion Williams is gone and Zach Edie is putting up 20 and 12 kind of jump um and do you is there is there any merit to the idea of is he able to be as effective when he's the only guy at the center position that other teams have to prepare for I mean he's he's spectacular um I don't think that that should be too big of a of an issue in terms of his performance, but I'm curious what you think when it comes to Klingon. Yeah, I don't know how you cover him. I yeah. really don't. Like, I don't know how you cover him. Um, I mean, he won't play 40. He won't play 40 minutes, obviously. Like, that's just not going to be the case. But, I mean, he was 21, 17, five and a half blocks for 40 last year. I mean, those, those are just bananas numbers. Even if you just put some of his biggest games in terms of minutes last year, uh, he played 21 minutes at Marquette. He had 20 points, 10 boards, 5 blocks. He played 21 minutes at Providence, 12 points, 11 boards, 4 blocks. And he's going to be up or he's going to be over 20. He was close to that for a lot of last year, anyways. Um, a lot of last year he was in the mid teens. I, I think asking him to play 25 is uh, outrageous. And I think he'll put just, he'll be unbelievably efficient. And he's, if, Frank Hawkburn was in this league, he might be the best defender. He might still be. I love Hawkburn. Hawkburn is probably the best mm. defender in the country. I think I think that's fair. And I I don't think there would be 
there doesn't need to be an overreaction about that in terms of okay, they're ga- they're going to game plan for him now because what you said at the beginning is might just be what it comes down to is like how do you how do you guard 15, that dude 15 10 two and a half like sure yeah the other two, thing i want to ask he you was one is, and a half, he was 1.8 blocks in 13 minutes last year yeah <laughs> that's insane the other question i have for you is things get a lot a lot more unknown is is the way i'll put it when we talk about who's going to be the dependable bench contribution for the team. You talked about Svon Castle multiple times, but the depth, and he's probably going to be in the starting lineup. I would think so. The depth you, you, of it's this... Solomon Ball and Sandiara. Right. So that was so. That's my question to you: is where do you expect the depth of this team to come from, uh, and who kind of those six? Set, I mean, Diara is of course. One of the obvious, uh, one one of the obvious candidates for that spot, but then it gets into a lot of guys that that are freshmen. Who do you think really, is really good? For most us. likely to be those guys. Yeah, like, sure. I mean, like absolutely. Solomon Ball and, and Jalen Stewart are both top sixty guys. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of teams in the country who take a top sixty guy and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to pencil him into my starting lineup right now." I mean, sure. you look at UConn; you're penciling him into sixth and seventh man spots. Um, and they're playing behind in ball. They're playing behind Tristan Newton and Cam Spencer. Jalen Stewart's playing behind Castle and Garrett. I mean, there's mm-hmm. they can come along and improve as the year goes on because they're not thrust in just this massive role right away. I mean, Newton's going to play thirty a game. Spencer's probably going to be in the same mold. So is Caravan. I mean, there's there's not that much to go to off the bench. Like they they could they can grow as the season comes along because that starting five is as good as anyone. Let's hop into the rest of the conference, starting with some of the new coaches and beginning at Georgetown with Ed Cooley. What are your, we haven't actually talked to you about this since the move made. What are just your overall thoughts about the decision Cooley made? He's got some interesting pieces, but not what it maybe could have been if, for example, Hunter Dickinson ended up choosing Georgetown and now maybe you're on to something. Do you, what do you expect out of this Georgetown team and just kind of where are you with what Ed Cooley can do with this program, whether it's this season or moving forward? Yeah, I think there's a, I, I think this season could be a long one. Like I, I just, I, I don't really buy the roster yet. It's thin. Um, and I think they only have what nine scholarship guys in the roster right now. Maybe it's 10. I can't remember. Um, but it's a thin roster. Uh, it's a lot of guys that you're kind of forcing to play bigger roles. Like is is Masu you know play a, like a starting level role? Tom Trey Styles is the same way. Uh, Jaden Epps comes into a new program. Supreme Cook comes into a new program. I think it's going to take time to get this group together. I think it's probably going to be somewhat similar, honestly, to some of the Providence teams that like absolutely give the Biggies zero help for two months of non-conference, and then like probably win eight or ten conference games. Uh, because that's just what Ed Cooley's teams do. They get better um, as the year goes on. But I think that this one's probably a longer-term rebuild than the normal province rosters are, and I think there's hesitancy with that uh, in probably picking them to finish in the bottom three or four of the league makes sense. Uh, But I don't think that takes away from just, like, how good Ed Cooley could bring Georgetown to be. Like, I think this season being a down season – 
a down season by Pooley standards, not a down season by Georgetown yeah. the last few right. years. Like, mm-hmm. it won't be that. And I think that it's a step forward. I think they can make a step this year and a leap the year after that. If I gave you over under eight and a half years for Ed Cooley at Georgetown, Ed Cooley is one of those guys that I'm like, oh my gosh, he's only 54. He looks way older than that. Um, do you think, like, is this the guy? Okay, is do you think, think this is the? Sure. He's been so he's been so successful. He's going to get enormous amount of resources at Georgetown. Extremely mm-hmm. an extremely hungry fan base and athletic department. Like, I think that they'll get there. Um, and I think it's not that extreme. I think they're a consistent and slowly tournament team in a not too far distant future. It's just not. It's just not something that takes that long anymore with the way so that the it, transfer portal. Though works. it is going to look, it is going to look very weird. Hmm. It's going to look weird, but it just doesn't take that. I think you're right. I, I I do have faith in Cooley to be the guy. I have no idea who the guy is if it's not Ed Cooley, um, but it just doesn't take that long if you have the resources. If you have the draw of a program like Georgetown and a and a coach like Ed Cooley it just doesn't it just doesn't take that long anymore um the open spot that he left at Providence was filled by one Kim English I mean you lose a lot if you're Ed Cooley at Providence you lose some guys that are of that are as Josh said before we started recording that felt like the heart and soul in a lot of ways of the the last couple of years of of Providence basketball, he brings in you know a, a trio of guys that come with him from George Mason. Uh, there's there's some talent here for sure, and you already mentioned another guy who's on his way in that you like when talking about uh, NBA prospects. That might have been before we hit the record button, but anyways, I I lose track. Um, what do you think about Kim English in his first year at Providence, and what the expectations should be there? Man, he's inheriting some really, really good pieces. Like, oh, yeah. really good pieces. Like, Bryce Hopkins was a first-team All-Big East guy last year. He will do so yeah. again. He will probably take another step. If there's someone who's going to lock more out of Bryce Hopkins this year, it's a guy who's got next-level experience in Kim English. Bryce Hopkins is probably, at worst, the second-round pick next year. Um, I think he's only going to get one year with Kim English because he's going to go to the next level. Uh Devin Carter is another really, really, really yeah. strong building block. 13 a game last year. He's one of the best defenders in the conference. Uh, that gives you an edge. Garwood Wall, he inherited, but also had to re-recruit. But I think re-recruiting and landing a recommitment from Duval is maybe the biggest win of the program this offseason. He is going to be a phenomenal freshman. He'll start right away. There's a good chance he only spends one year in Rhode Island before he's He's a first-round pick himself. Like, I think there's a lot of talent here. And, like, you even look deeper into the roster. Like, Justin Fernandez is coming back from injury. If he can play, he's he was a highly rated recruit. Rafael Castro's had some moments. Jaden Pierre, Corey Floyd have had moments. Like, it's just how that group grows. But the, the Devin Carter-Dual, even bringing in Ticket Gaines and Josh Aguro are really good players um, from George Mason. I think this is this is an NCAA tournament team to me. Do you feel like there's going to be a steep learning curve for Kim English doing this at the high major level, doing it with 
some players he's obviously familiar with, but also two foundational pieces you just talked about that are, I would argue, unlike any player he's coached so far because of how established Hopkins and Carter are at the high major level at this point. Do, do you think that there's going to have to be some learning on the fly, or do you think that Kim English, who has kind of made this look easy so far, is just one of those naturals who you look and you go, oh, that's just a a coaching star in the making, and he's going to get this team playing to its potential right away, and we're not going to be thinking too much about Ed Cooley and what Providence lost because we're going to be excited about what Providence now has in Kim English and where this is going. Well, I think it's not just inheriting two really good players. Like you can come to a program and inherit two guys who put up good numbers. Um, Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins won. Like they made the NCAA tournament last year. They know what winning habits and a winning culture looks like. I, I don't think that's that hard as a new coach to really come in and gel with. It's like, okay, these guys, they set the tone. Like, Kim English wants to win. So did Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter, and they've done it. Um, and I think the same thing happens there. And then he's got guys he molds with. I mean, he surrounds those two anchors with guys that he's coached. Gaines, Josh Aguro are probably both going to start. Um, and, and do all he re-recruited and got him back. So there's obviously a relationship there. Uh, and I think there's a lot to like with this Providence group. Uh, I really do think they're maybe a little bit underrated because they don't have the Patino factor in the middle of the conference uh, because Kim English isn't Rick Patino. But there's there might be there might be a higher floor with this group than even St. John's. Uh, and I think they're probably an NCAA tournament team again. Let's let's talk about one Richard Patino. I, I mentioned that the the incoming and outcoming guys at UConn, the list was pretty long. Uh, shouts to the, the Almanac, the College Basketball Almanac. Uh, the list of departures and newcomers is 21 different players. 21. 21. Okay, sorry. Um, you, said, you said Richard Patino, so I'm assuming we're talking about New Mexico. Uh, that's of course. That's of course right. Um, Rick, Richard, Dick, Patino, whatever, whoever, whatever you want to call him. Um, this is, of course, the other coaching, the other coaching change that could fundamentally change uh, one of the programs in this conference that has been something very specific and Seems very inspiring for forever. It is hilarious. I have no idea what we're going to get from it. Um, you yeah, have Joel really Soriano. That's 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 the that's the guy who brings back his fifteen and twelve. You get, and then you've got a bunch of new guys. You got a, a walking bucket and Jordan Dingle, a, a high powered backcourt in general. I I got no idea what's going to happen, and I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, Joel Soriano's fifteen and twelve. Jordan Dingle was twenty three games. Denise Jenkins can get up buckets. Chris Ludlam can give you buckets. Mm-hmm. And then you have RJ Luis can give you buckets. And then you have maybe the best defensive coach in the history of college basketball. Like, it is going to be wildly interesting to see how all these things come together. Um, and I think that that's that, and that makes them probably the hardest team to predict where they'll be at the end of the season is because you just, you don't know. Uh, there, there's not a single known with this team. Like if Joel Soriano is the biggest known, it's, he's also coming into a brand new system this year that'll play much differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also playing with much different guys. Like you take away Kosh Alexander as his main distributor and things change for him. 
it's going to look different for Soriano, even as the quote unquote anchor for the group. Uh, You bring in a couple good recruits and Simon Wilcher and Brady Dunlop, which are just two other new faces. Like it's, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how things come together. And I think their ceiling is off the charts high. It's a top 25 team. If things come together, right. Um, which would be huge news for St. John's as a program. But either way, it's just, it's weird to say, but it's a breath of fresh air for St. John's. Like the optimism is, the optimism has always been there coming into St. John's seasons of late. And I think for the, like there's, it's founded here. Like I think yes. Rick Patino gives you founded optimism. He's been so successful. He's had a track record of winning and that he's had, he has his system. He has guys coming in that like, attract intrigue. Like Jordan Dingle is not just your average mid-major up transfer. Like he was 24 a game. If he's healthy, he is probably one of the better guards in the Big East still. Like even with the jump from the Ivy, like he's very, very good. Chris Ludlum's had success um, at the same level. Like RG Luis is a good player. Uh, he obviously has already coached in East Jenkins. Like I think there's, there's a lot of really interesting pieces that can really plug together. Uh, and if things come together, they've got the shooting, they've got a defensive coach, they've got already an all-conference big man coming back. Uh, I think it's the league is pretty separated, I think, after the top three and then the top four. And then I think the St. John's is probably in that next year. But it wouldn't shock if they jump into the mix to be a top 25 team more sooner than you think. Their ceiling is I, the floor. The floor is lower than a, than a team like Providence, I think, because they don't have yeah. – as much returning that you kind of know about, like Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter is probably a better proven stance than Joel Soriano and question mark. Uh, yeah. But the, the roster has a ton of intrigue and obviously a coach that is going to uh, not just turn St. John's into a better program, but also kind of instantly reignite what's been a dormant group for the last few years. Every single year. I laugh at the people who are like, oh my gosh, have you seen St. John's roster? Oh my gosh, Andre Capello is on their roster. I don't care. Couldn't care less. This year, I'm actually a little nervous that the talent and what's going on might actually result in better better college basketball team. I mean, because... No, man. No, no, I I am nervous that I am not going to be able to sit there and if all else fails... I could talk about how much of a disappointment St. John's is and how all of you are dumb and silly for thinking that St. John's was actually going to produce wins in the column at the end of 40 minute games. And this year I'm a little bit more nervous about being able to do that, which is a, which is a welcome change of pace. I mean, if you tell me that Rick Catino has a returning 15 and 12 guy and he's got four mid-major transfers who are already double figures a game last year and I'm picking them fifth in the Big East. That sounds insanity. Mm -hmm. That's how good the Big East is this year. It's loaded. One through Mm -hmm. six at minimum is really, really, really good. So you might have already answered this, but I want to have you expand on it a little bit more. And Josh just alluded to this as well. I think we're all of the belief generally that St. John's always interesting. Don't really know what to expect except for don't buy into the hype because they don't pay it off. Do you feel like we are just in a completely different world now that Rick Pitino erases all of that and we need to view this as a 
program with some talent coached by Rick Pitino? Or is there part of you that is still going, this is St. John's and even Rick Pitino might not be able to maximize this roster and maybe they don't finish 10th or something like that, but they're in the seven, eight, nine range and not pushing into the top of the second tier or maybe trying to get themselves into that top tier with the other three teams that we've already talked about. Are you completely in on Patino that we need to, like Josh was saying, forget everything we know about St. John's? Well, I think if you're going to forget, if you're going to remember everything that you do about St. John's, then you also have to kind of forget everything about Rick Patino to put him that low. Like, I think that there, there's a mix there. If you want to say, if you want to believe the past with St. John's, you also have to believe the past through Patino. Those teams balance each other out. Um, but I think, I think we'll probably see St. John's be what we expect. Like, I, I know that that sounds silly. Like, I think they'll be what we expect in that. 20 to 40 range NCAA tournament team caliber group, but they'll be disappointing mm. because I think that the top of the league is so good and people underestimate just like the difference between being a top 10 team and a top 25 team is pretty significant. I think they're mm. going to have to play. Like the thing is, I think St. John's is like, I know that's going to get twisted in a way I don't want it to. Like, I think they're probably an NCAA tournament team in the 20 to 40 range. Um, could be on the high end, could be on the low end, but the fact is they're going to have to play Creighton. UConn and Marquette six times. Right. Like, they're going to lose some of those games. That's just that's just the way it is. And I think that people are going to think that it's a more disappointing year than it is if they finish fourth or fifth in the Big East when the fact is that the, the league is just really, really good and any of those wins um, will be a testament to how good they are. And I think that they're, the Big East, maybe more so than it even has been in past years, is going to really prepare itself for the NCAA tournament this week. I want to touch on one other kind of coaching centric thing, and it's not a brand new coach. Are we, going, are we going to the main line? To the main line depends on what the main line means. I wasn't keyed in on this. Did I miss the meeting? It's Villanova. Okay, all right. Yes, we're going to Villanova. Cal Neptune year two, um, year two in which they finished right, right at five hundred seventeen and seventeen. 17, Is that correct? Seventeen and sixteen, I think. Okay. Uh, um, seventeen and seventeen, ten and ten in the yeah, big right, east. Right. Um Seton Hall was seventeen and sixteen. I knew I was I knew it was, ah, there was. You go. There you go. <laughs> and what are those? Um I I'm curious what you think about how Villanova fits into this conference because you've you've talked a bunch on the pod so far about how good the top of this conference is. And you keep including, you know, five, four, five. A mystery team that we haven't discussed yet. Right. There's a team in there (laughs) in the middle that we haven't discussed yet. I would assume it's not the Butler Bulldogs. No. Um, I think it's the Villanova. (laughs) I think it's the Villanova Wildcats. At this point, we've completely, like anybody who who listens to Hinkle is home, we've completely, they're gone. We've, We've lost them now at this point. That's okay. Um. This is a team that loses Caleb Daniels, loses Cam Whitmore, Brandon Slater, but you had a really, really good offseason when it comes to best. transfers. One of the best in the entire country. You bring in guys like Tyler Burton, TJ Bump. Not even right. just transfers. You get Justin Four and Eric Dixon back. Neither of which True. were sure things. Sure. Absolutely. Everything that went that would have gone in favor of how good 
this program is on the basketball floor this year, they got to go in, in their direction. Um, the transfers are guys like TJ Bama, Hakeem Hart, Tyler Burton, uh, Justin Moore is back, Mark Ar- Armstrong in the program for a second year, and Kyle Neptune in the program for you know more than that, but as a head coach for a second year. Uh, what say you about Villanova? Where do you, is there a world in which Villanova wins this conference? Are they yes. that good? Is the ceiling that high? And uh, where do you see them ultimately kind of shaking out? I think the only hesitation with this team is that Jay Wright is coaching it. Sure. Like I, I, God, I, I, that, I that pesky mean, that pesky bullet point right there. Like, like okay. I don't mean like I think that Kyle Neptune was quite good at Fordham. I think it was a disappointing year last year, but also it's hard to really look at it without the injury bug that hit. I mean, Justin Moore missed time. Cam Whitmore wasn't quite what he could have been at the college level right away. Uh, I want to say he missed more than I remember him missing two, um, eight or nine games, I think. Um, that was all early in the year. But mm-hmm. like they just didn't have the consistency in the lineup that they needed. And I think that that has kind of pushed people to be a little bit more down on Kyle Neptune, um, which I'm not sure is inherently fair. Uh, this will be his first year having more health. I mean, he'll have Justin Moore, who's a, quite frankly a Big East Player of the Year level guy. Eric mm-hmm. Dixon is another all-conference level guy. I mean, TJ Bamba, Hakeem Hart, and Tyler Burton are all double-digit scorers at good programs. Uh, the Pac-12, Big Ten, and A-10, um, those are conferences where it's tough to put up those kind of numbers. And Mark Armstrong was a highly rated recruit who wasn't quite up to sn- what, quite up to what people thought he could have been as a freshman, but now he's got a year um, in the system. And the same you can say about Brendan Hawson, who I stand by being maybe one, maybe if not a top-five shooter, if not a top, if not the best shooter, he's probably a top five shooter in the conference. Like I think Brandon Hawson has as pure of a jumper as there is in the league. Um, obviously, the you've been driving been that there. train. You've been try. You've been driving that train for eighteen Three months years. now. Yeah, Three years. yeah forever. Like, <laughs> since he was a, since he was a junior in high school, Brandon Hawson is a bucket. His younger brother is a bucket too. I think he's going to high point. Um, like that, he can really really shoot it. I think that gives them another edge if he's able to take a jump this year on defense and as a playmaker to play more. Uh, same with Mark Armstrong. Those are two sophomores that I really think could take big steps in bench roles this year. What along what is a loaded starting five? Like I, Villanova was a preseason top fifteen team to me, and I think that if and I think pretty clearly just a little step below that top three group, and also a step above the rest of the league. I think they're pretty much slotted into that preseason four for me. Um, but I think if there was a more seasoned and proven head coach, I'm not saying because. I'm not saying Kyle Neptune is not a good coach. We just don't know. Like, we knew what Jay Wright could do. We don't know what Kyle Neptune can do. Like, if they had a proven head coach, they're pro- this is this is a top five, seven roster in the country. And, and also, you know, that's a very high mark to bar of course, to me to it's say. Jay Wright. I mean, oh, it's, it's Jay Wright. <laughs> the, the point guard well, position. And, and, and to be clear, like, I think Villanova is a top 15 team because I believe in Kyle Neptune. Like, I think he's a yeah. good enough coach that with this roster, they can do a lot of really good things and contend for this league title. I think if there's anyone outside the top three that's getting a ton of buzz that can really win this conference, I think it's the Wildcats. Outside of the injuries, one of the other points of difficulty last year, I would argue, was just the point guard position. You mentioned Mark Armstrong. I remember we were talking on our preview of he's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands. And typically, that's third, fourth year guards, right? You go from. Oh, I'm starting. Star- I'm, I'm running Justin Moore at the point. Right, and it didn't really work. And 
And now you have between the transfers, Justin Moore coming back, and the fact that Mark Armstrong might be much more comfortable in year two, all kinds of different options there in terms of what you want to do. How important is that when you are, you're clearly high on this team, just the idea that it was such a big question mark and such a a difficult spot last season. And it's obviously such an important part of having a really good basketball team. Now it seems like even if one thing doesn't go the way they're hoping, they have other alternatives to, to go to in terms of ball handling. Yeah, I mean, I think they have some playmaking by committee more so this year. When you add Justin Moore back and healthy, Hakeem Hart was, he's 6'8", and he was two and a half assists a game at Maryland. Uh, I think there's there's solid playmaking up and down the roster, and I think that having playmaking as a team will create more opportunities. There isn't one truly dominant creator on this roster. It's not a Tyler Colex surrounded by guys. It's a lot of work, and Iguodaro, I'm not trying to say that all of Marquette's playmaking is Colex either. Um, but like there's there's a really good collection of guys who can create for each other and move and kind of have that open spacing, really good really good floor spacing and movement and freedom offense for Villanova. And Justin Moore is the, the cause of that. Like Eric Dixon obviously does a lot with being able to play the five and stretch the floor as well as he does. But man, Justin Moore is he's he's a he's a really, really good player. The last team I wanted to touch on real quickly that it's Sean Miller. It's a team that came into last season with an incredible amount of hype. Didn't necessarily quite live up to it. Still had a very good season, and many of those key pieces are now gone. How concerned are you with everything Xavier lost? Do you think Sean Miller's going to be able to figure it out with a very new group and that some of the role players, the Desmond Clouds of the world, are going to be able to emerge as all eight, all Big East caliber guys? Where are you on, on Xavier and how things are going with Sean Miller here? Yeah, I think they're in a tougher spot this year because I think, for one, the league's really, really good at the top. I, I mean, I really have to preface that with every team. Like, it's just, like, that's, for most teams in the league, there's ever, there's probably five losses with that top three. Like, just for most teams in the league, that's probably, they're probably going to go one and five or two and four against the great league. Two and four is probably pretty good. Okay. Yeah, like, that, that makes it tough. Like, that makes it tough to really have a really good season when you already when those teams are so good at the top and if Villanova comes together as it can, like they can be also that fourth team. That's really good. Like, I think that makes it tough to really match. I mean, what was, yeah. Xavier was 15 and five in the big East last year. Got a three seed. That's, I don't think that's going to happen again. And I think the injury bug has already hit that. Uh, where, where you get Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle, uh, it, it puts you in a tough spot with where they've been. And I think that that, there's not a whole lot proven stuff at the high major level. Um, it was made new to the high major level. So is Olivari. So Knight um, and Claude, I think, is probably the best guy in that mix who could really be an all-conference guy this year as a sophomore, maybe in the second team. Although, man, putting together an all-conference team in the preseason right now, good luck. I think there's like I think 10 of 15 guys who are either first team or second team or, or honorable mention last year are back. I mean, it's... It's really, really tough to put together that kind of stuff with the depth of talent in the league. But we kind of thought Xavier wasn't going to be very good last year. Or at least a lot of people did. And Sean Miller was pretty good and put him into a really good spot. And they made the tournament. Uh, obviously, they, they made the Sweet 16. I think that this is, even with the question marks on paper, I think Sean Miller's gotten the, the benefit of the doubt where this is a team that's going to at least contend for an NCAA tournament. Do we have a solely boom, though? 
Josh and I both made this point that how much of that do you think was the fact that he was just ridiculously good? Yeah, he was fantastic. So was Kobe Jones. So was Jack Nungy. Adam Kunkel was kind of that outstanding shooter in the mix. And maybe you hope Cam Kraft can be that this year. Quincy Army is a, a knockdown shooter as well. Um, but I think that there might not be a silly boom. You hope that can be Davion McKnight. But as I said, though, even if there's not, they probably aren't going to go 15 and 5 again. Like, that's just, I don't think, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last season. It's a matter of, I think it's building on the successes of last year and maybe not getting better this season, but staying in that NCAA tournament. And I think they're good enough to do that. We've touched on just about every team. Do you have anything on Seton Hall, Butler, or DePaul that you just have to get off your chest? I don't think Seton Hall is as bad as some people think they are. Hmm. I don't. Like, they bring back a fair amount of stuff. Um, Kerry Richmond's back. Trey Davis is back. Amir Dawes is back. I think Dylan Davis was a solid addition. They were 10-10 in the league last year. Uh, I'm not saying they'll do that again, but I think I've seen some people kind of pencil them in, like, the 10 spot in the league, and I don't think they're that bad. They they might just get caught, like you talked about. They're just going to get caught in that list of teams that are going to go 1-5 against the top. Yeah, but they'll have some of those games Three. that are threatening at least. Sure. They just might get they just might end up in a spot. They they might be better than where they end up in the Big East would suggest, like when we're looking yeah. back on it. Yeah. I think they're gonna be okay. Sure. I've got nothing on the Butler Bulldogs. I'm gonna stop the podcast before I let you before you have a chance to, to give anything on the <laughs> Butler Bulldogs. I'm, I I don't hate the Butler Bulldogs. I don't hate the Butler Bulldogs just the Posh Alexander and the new and improved Connor Turnbull, um, but that's that's all we there, need to say on the on the dogs. I think there's injury with all three with all those teams. Like I think Butler mm-hmm. and Paul have intrigue still, uh, just because they think that they're probably going to be projected at the bottom doesn't mean they'll they'll be disappointing altogether. Like Butler, I think really just needs to step forward. Um, yeah, that'd be a big key. Actually, both those programs honestly, Butler and Paul. And what's a loaded big East, I think mean, they're going to have a really hard time actually making a jump into like, and this sounds harsh, but into relevancy, it's going to be hard to make that jump because there's just, they'll have opportunities to be relevant for a few days. They knock off a, uh, one of the best teams and they're, but that's, I don't think in the long run of the season, that's going to mean all that much. Uh, but I think they can take steps forward showing for Butler, especially showing the ability to compete against mm. better teams, which wasn't really there last year. They lost by 20 a bunch. Uh, I think there's there's opportunities, even what could be another tough season for both programs in Butler and Nepal. I think there's opportunities to show growth and build for the future still. Am I hearing you say you think the Big East could have somewhat of a Big 12-esque season where even the teams at the bottom that lose a bunch of games aren't really that bad and that everybody is actually competitive? I don't know. I think there's I think there's a pretty I think I still think there's a pretty big gap towards the bottom of four or five. That was very diplomatic of you. Incredibly <laughs> diplomatic of you. Um but no, if if they if Butler goes six and fourteen in conference again this year, but they only lose by twenty once, that's a that's a win. Yeah. Which is an unfortunate spot to be, but is a is a, a form of taking the step a step in the right direction. 
Lucas, always an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, we very much appreciate you stopping by. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Lucas, for hopping on the pod for the third or fourth year in a row. Lucas, uh, the best and always has uh, great insight into the Big East season uh, ahead of the year starting. Yeah. Kind of like we were talking about before, I, I'm pretty much with him about how good the top of the conference can be. Now, whether it can balance itself out entirely, it's a fair question with some of the programs at the bottom. But I, the idea that you could have three legit national title contenders in Marquette, UConn, and Creighton, absolutely. I think that's right. I think there's... I think. It, I think it's the only conference with three teams in it that yep. I'm convinced could are national title that that could be national title contenders. Yep. And that's the argument for them being higher at Kempom preseason exactly. for yep. sure. Yep. I also understand it to a certain extent, but I I think you're right. I think you're right. It's, it's going to depend where the Big East ends up in the Kempom rankings. Is going to depend on the middle of the conference. Like if Villanova, St. John's, and you know, pick uh, Providence, whoever you want in six there, Xavier. If if those next three teams are really solid, if they're top, you know, thirty five, forty Kempom teams, it's going to be really hard to nudge the big east out and you know of course the bottom of that conference like if georgetown butler you know those teams depaul really bottom out if we're talking about less than five wins for all four of them which would be hard to do but when you have to play eight games against villanova marquette creighton and yukon like it could happen they could all go zero and eight against those four teams then then it gets a little bit dicier. Then you're a, not a great team that has to win four, go four and eight, your other 12, which is easier said than done. But um, but I agree with you. The, the top of the conference is, is super duper strong. And Villanova might be even better than people think. Yeah. We're, just, we're just not sure about what the Kyle Neptune era at Villanova produces in a year like this. Because the roster that Villanova has, if Jay Wright was the coach, it'd be a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything I'm, else i'm really Sorry, excited for the big east this season it's gonna be great it's gonna be great anything else on the big east on rankings anything anything you got on your mind check out that youtube hit the subscribe button we greatly appreciate please it. do and please we have do. some exciting things in the works that we need to flush out a little bit here but stay tuned Exciting things in the works. That's a W. That's a WTs right there. Um, for now, thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jay's Freddy's Podcast. Please subscribe to the show on YouTube. Just type in Jay's Freddy's Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Jay's Freddy's Pod. TikTok as well. Getting that rolling once again. Heading into the college basketball season. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.